Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. And we hope you are encouraged by today's message. When I was in school, I, uh, I was a pretty smart kid. I don't claim to be the smartest kid uh, in my school, but I was a pretty smart kid. And one of the reasons that I was smart or one of the reasons that I did pretty well is because you know, I, I, I did remember some of the information that I was supposed to remember for tests and homework and different assignments, but I was also, uh, you know, smart enough that if I had information presented to me, whether that be on a test or otherwise, and it was like multiple choice, I could work with kind of process of elimination and work my way down to the right answer, usually. I loved it, even with fill in the blank, I loved it when they would give you the little keyword bank at the top, you know, and so you had eight, you know, fill in the blanks and you had eight words. And so you'd start with the three or four or five or six that you knew for sure. And you would put those words in the blanks and you would be left with, you know, three blanks and you'd be left with three words and you'd fill them in. I hated the tests and the assignments where the teacher would put extra words in the key bank at the top where you'd have like eight fill in the blanks in the test and you'd have like 1,100 words at the top, and so you couldn't eliminate enough to make it make sense. I mean, that's so frustrating because you would want to figure it out. I guess they actually wanted you to know what you were supposed to know, I, I guess. But I loved those kinds of tests. I'll tell you what I hated, even worse than having too many words in the key, you know, the keyword bank at the top, is I hated those tests where they didn't even give you words to pick from. When you just actually had to know the information and you had to fill in the blank and no words to pull from at all, so you just had to recall it from your mind, recall it from your studies. One of my favorite movies, when I need a good laugh, so please don't judge me, is the movie Tommy Boy. Comedian Chris Farley is in that movie. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's hilarious. But uh, he has a test early in the movie, and there is a fill-in-the-blank and they're looking for the people that signed the Declaration of Independence. And it says blank Hancock. Now, most of us are smart enough to know that the word they're looking for there would be John. John Hancock. But Tommy Boy, he writes Herbie with a lot of confidence. Herbie Hancock. Later in the movie, they said, hey, if you'll just put your John Hancock right here, it'll all be done. And he said, I think it's Herbie Hancock, right? Because he didn't know. He didn't know the information. And so he had to fill in the blank, and he just had to pull it from the, you know, the, recess, the recourse of his mind. And so he couldn't come up with the word that he needed, and so he just filled it in with what he could remember. Well, over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to have a fill in the blank. Jesus is fill in the blank. Leading up to Easter Sunday, we want to spend a few weeks really helping all of us to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of who Jesus Christ is really is. And so we'll spend some time each week looking at various stories from the Bible, and almost all of them we're pulling in this series from the Gospel of John. If you got a Bible and you want to flip there with me, I'd love for you to follow along there today. If you don't have a Bible but you got a device, you feel free to do that as well. The Scriptures today, most of them should be up on the screen, but the Gospel of John is one of the first four books of the New Testament. It's, it's the Gospel of John because it is one of the four Gospel accounts of Jesus Christ's life when he was here living on the earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John help us to have the stories of Jesus' life when he walked the earth. And we're wanting to look today and then throughout this series at these miraculous stories of Jesus Christ. The things that he did, were, which were very much supernatural, these miracles that he performed while he was on the earth. And so we want to start today in John chapter 2. That's where we'll spend 
our time today. John chapter 2, as we look at the first miracle that John records out of the life of Jesus to help us to understand who Jesus really is. And so let's begin reading here in verse 1 of John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here at, in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, there's so many things that we could spend our time focusing on today, but I, I, I want to spend some time looking at a couple things that come out of this passage. Now, a few weeks ago, we met together on a Sunday night with our team, uh, for our team night with all the volunteers that serve here at Canton Church. There's a, a huge number of people that serve every single week, giving of their time and their energy to serve. And we actually looked at this same story. And I'm going to talk a, a, a couple of times about things that we shared that night, but some of the content will be different because we're looking at a little different take on this story. And the reason that we're focusing on it today is really to focus on learning something about Jesus and what Jesus does in this story. But one of the first things that jumps out to me in this passage of Scripture is the human moment that we see in the interaction between Jesus and his mother in verse 3 and 4. Now, all of us in this room at some time or another probably were disrespectful to our mother. Maybe we didn't mean to, or maybe we very much meant to, maybe we didn't get in trouble, or maybe we very much did. But at some point, we probably were disrespectful. Now, not to the point of sin, because we know that Jesus lived a blameless life and did not sin while he lived on the earth. But there is a, a conversation here that takes place between Jesus and his mom that is hilarious. I don't know if you caught it the first time, but they realize that they're out of wine, and Mary says to Jesus, they have no more wine. And then Jesus, almost in a smart Alex son kind of way, maybe I'm reading too much into it, says, woman, first of all, don't call your mom woman. Just, just don't. It, it would not go well for you. Unless you're the son of God, you probably can't get away with that. My mother would have said, listen, I brought you into the world. I can take you out of the world. But anyway, he said, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And so he's saying to her, listen, I I am, I'm called by God to come and do something. I'm called to do miracles and to teach and to proclaim the good news. You're exactly right. I mean, I guess that's why you're calling on me here. But my time has not yet come. There, there's not yet this call, this urge, this compulsion by my father to, to be about his business yet. Yeah, we just came to the wedding. I came here with my disciples. Now, it's interesting that he and his disciples were invited to the wedding because it tells us that he already had disciples. He already had followers, those that he had called out from among their lives to a greater purpose. But according to this Gospel of John here, we don't see that he's done any miracles. We don't see that he's done these other things. And so he has followers. He has disciples. And we read in verse 11, we finished with that passage. It says that because of what he did here at this wedding, his disciples actually believed in him. They were able to go forth 
and believed that he was who he said he was, that he claimed that he was who he claimed to be, which were some pretty amazing, even outlandish types of claims because of the kinds of things that they experienced in moments like this. But Mary said to Jesus, they're out of wine. And Jesus says, woman, why, why do you tell me this? My time has not yet come. And then, again, my mom probably would have slapped me in my mouth and then washed my mouth out with soap or whatever she would have done. But Mary doesn't even respond to Jesus. Did you notice that? She doesn't even look at Jesus anymore. He says, woman, why do you even you know, bring me into this? It's not yet my time. And she just kind of, okay, yeah, that's cute what you just did. And she looks at the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you. Like she just gets him involved in the miracle that he didn't even think he was supposed to be involved in. And like any good son, he just did what his mom told him, right? So now he's involved. And so he says to the servants, go and fill these water jars. So you see this interaction between Jesus and his mom, this incredible story. I I love that part. And then we're introduced to the water pitchers. Now these water pitchers, these stone jars, would not have been like a bottle of water or a larger kind of two liter. It wouldn't have been that. We're told that these stone jars were very large and they would have been able to hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. And this was a part of the ceremonial Jewish washing so that these people that came to be a part of the wedding feast, which would have lasted several days, this was not like a 30, 40 minute ceremony and a two hour party. Like this would have lasted three, four, five days in this town. It would have been something that everybody stopped their lives and came and celebrated with this family. And so at the entrance of the wedding, there would have been all of these jars. Now, the fact that there were six of them that held 20 to 30 gallons of water tells us that it was a pretty big affair. It would have a pretty big wedding that people had been invited to. And so they would have come to these jars and they would have taken water and drawn it out and they would have washed their hands and they would have washed their feet and they would have washed their face before they came in to celebrate with this family that had something to celebrate about. But these jars were now empty. All the 20 and 30 gallons of water in each of these six jars was completely used up and it was empty, which might indicate now that we're several days into the party and new people have arrived and they've used it or the water's dried up or the water's been poured out or whatever, but now they're empty. And so Jesus, as he gets into this miracle, now that his mom's brought him into this miracle, as he gets into it, he says to the servants, go and fill these water jars full. Now, Again, I did some research. I'm a pretty smart guy. I did some research, and I found that a gallon of water weighs about eight pounds. I think in the last service I said costs about 10 pounds, but we're not in the, the, the pounds kind of currency. So it weighs about eight pounds, which means that 25 gallons, which is between 20 and 30, just to get an average, if most of these pitchers, these jars, they carried between 20 and 30 gallons, it tells me that if I just take 25 and split it right down the middle and one gallon weighs eight pounds, 25 gallons would weigh 200 pounds. So a big water jar would have weighed about 200 pounds just in the water. Now, I'm not adding to Scripture. I'm just trying to help give us some context. So please don't write me a letter. I'm not saying this is even written here. But I would assume that a stone jar, something that could hold 200 pounds worth of water, probably was was really thick. It probably was kind of big. It may have weighed 50 pounds by itself, which means for them to fill it up, it wasn't like we could do today where they could just go down to Home Depot and get a 150-foot water hose and hook it up to the spigot on the side of the house and draw the hose over and put the hose down in the thing and turn the spigot on and the water fills it up and then they just move it from jar to jar to jar. That, that wasn't possible. We recognize why. It means that they had to take these jars to the well in that town. 
The, the wells were not house by house unless you were very, very, very wealthy. There would have been a well right in the center of town, maybe one or two in very large towns, but you would have gone to the well in your area of the town. And so there were two options. Again, I'm not trying to put more in Scripture here. I'm just trying to make sense of what we're reading. There were only two ways that they could have filled these jars up. They could have taken the empty jars and carried them, 50 pounds or so, carried them to the well, filled them up by drawing water out of the well and putting water into this very large jar, and then carrying 250 pounds back to the wedding because the 50 pounds of stone jar and the 200 pounds of 25 gallons of water. So picking up the 250 gallons with the stone and the jar and the water and everything and carrying it all the way back to the well and doing that six times. Or they could have left the empty jars at the wedding. They could have walked to the well. We don't know how far that was. They could have walked to the well. They could have filled up smaller containers of water and carried it back and poured those smaller containers into the jars at the wedding and done that over and over and over until all six jars were full of 25 gallons of water apiece, 1,200 pounds worth of water that they either carried one at a time or they carried in these large, big, heavy jars one at a time. And this is not really even the point of the message today, but I just wonder how many of us want to see God do the miraculous. We want to see God do something amazing. We want to see God do one of those suddenly types of miracles which he can do, which he's done. It's recorded in scripture. And many people in this room could probably give stories and testimonies of when God has just shown up in the midst of a moment and suddenly everything changed. And that's what we want God to do so often, right? We pray and we ask God, God, meet this need. God, do this thing. Amen. And we expect as soon as we say amen and we open our eyes that everything will be different. And I wonder how many times God is actually answering our prayers and meeting our needs and doing the miracle in the time it takes to carry the water jars back and forth to the well. That there's this process that God is doing and God is allowing us to do where we pick it up and we carry it to the well and we sit it down and we fill it up and we fill it up and we fill it up and we pick it back up and we carry it back to the wedding and we put it down and we go, God, I don't know why you're taking so long to answer my prayer. And he's saying, just fill the next one up. And we pick it up and we walk over here and we sit it down and we fill it up and we fill it up and we fill it up and we pick it up and we walk it back to the wedding. Or we leave an empty jar there because that seems too heavy and we can't do that on our own. So we walk over there and we take these small containers and we fill them up, fill them up, fill them up. And we walk back and we pour it in and we go, man, that's not a lot of water. And so we walk back over here and we're just waiting on God to do the miraculous. And God is asking us to be patient in the process. We say, God, I, I want you to fix my marriage. And we expect God to do it like that. But what if your marriage is healed one counseling appointment at a time. One, I forgive you at a time. One, I'm sorry at a time. We say, God, I want you to meet this financial need that I have. There's there's more bills than there are money. <laughs> what if God is, he could, I mean, he could provide, he could meet the need suddenly. But what if God wants to do the miraculous in your life? One month of budget 
at a time. One, I'm saying no to spending money on stuff I don't need to spend money on at a time. One, I'm working a second job just to bring in a little extra so we can try to catch up and then eventually get ahead at a time. So often we want God to do the miraculous suddenly, and he can. But how often have we given up on the miracle in the midst of the process when God's just saying, just be faithful, just Did you hear what Mary told the servants? Just do whatever he says. And he said, well, go fill these up. And so that's what they did. What if Mary's words to the servant are exactly what you and I need to hear today? Just do what he said. How much better would your life be? How much better would my life be if we just did what he said? And I know you say, well, yeah, that's fine. But he was standing there in physical form saying to the servants, go do this. Like, if he did that to me, I would do it. Would you really? Would you really? Would I really? Because I've got God's word. I have the Bible that I believe, many of you in this room probably believe as well, that it's the divinely inspired word of God written through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the words of God, the commands of God given to me and you. Jesus left the earth and said, it's better for me to go for you because the Holy Spirit will come. You have the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Christ in the room. And I realize not everybody is, but if you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, not just standing beside you. What if we just did what he said? Well, the problem is sometimes what he says is pick up 250 pounds and move it six times. Or carry a bunch of water back and forth a bunch of times and fill it up. But they did it. Bible tells us that they filled it to the brim. They didn't get tired and stop a little short on the sixth jar. They filled all six jars to the brim. I don't know how long it took. I don't know how tired they got, but they filled it to the brim. Look at this in verse 8 and 9. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Now, did you notice that? Don't skip over that, but I also don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. The guys, the servants, carried the things, filled them up with water, and then Jesus said, now draw the water out and take it to the master of the banquet. Not one time do we have recorded that Jesus ever touched the water or that he ever touched the jars. In other miracles, we're going to read about one in just a few weeks. Other miracles, feeding of the 5,000. He said, hey, go and find what you have. They bring back some loaves and fish, and he takes them in his hand, and he blesses them, and then he gives it back to the disciples, and they start to give out the food. And so he had touched it. When there's a blind man, he spits in the, mud, spits in the dirt, makes mud, takes it with his hands, puts it over the guy's eyes, and he immediately could see. He had touched it, but not one time in this first recorded miracle in John does Jesus ever touch the water or ever touch the pots. Only the servants do. I am not saying that the servants did the miracle, but I am saying that right here in the very first miracle, God wanted us to know that he loves to include human beings in the miraculous work that he's doing. I told our volunteers on that team night a few weeks ago that the guests at the party got to receive the miracle, but the servants got to participate in it. 
The guests at the party got to receive the miracle, but the servants got to participate in it. What is God calling you to participate in and not just to receive? What is God calling you to be a part of? Come serve at the church. Come do this in your community. Come give time, give money to charity or things in this community or through this church. Invite your friends and your family members who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ into an environment like this when they can hear the gospel and respond to the gospel and you get to participate in the miraculous. Or you can just sit in the room and just receive it or you can just go to your job or you can just do your thing and you can receive it or you can participate in it. That's what God's constantly calling us to do is to participate in the miracle. And so what we have is we have the master of the banquet Receiving from the servants the water that had been turned into wine. Read this, verse 9, through the end of what we already read. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn out the water knew. I love that. Though the servants who had been in on it, they had participated in it, they knew exactly what had happened. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, Everybody brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests had had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. How do you think the master of the banquet felt? You think he was happy? You think he was relieved? You think he was excited? I think he was joyful. The reason that I think he was joyful is because when I read Merriam-Webster's definition of the word joy, it says that it's happiness over an unanticipated or present good unanticipated. We're out of wine. There's nowhere to go get it in the midst of the wedding. Unanticipated. He's happy about it. Webster's saying here, when there's happiness over unanticipated or present good, that is joy. Now, that's a great definition. The problem is that Webster is actually taking joy and making it the same as happiness. And happiness is an emotion. It's a feeling, and feelings are fleeting. We're happy when things are good, when things are bad, we are sad. I'm a poet and didn't know it, right? You got, you got what I'm happening right there? So emotions and feelings, I'm happy, I'm sad. It changes, it ebbs and flows, there's give and take. But joy seems to be something different. Because I've walked through dark days with people, and even in the midst of tragedy, and even in the midst of sorrow, they seem to have joy. They seem to have something different. So what is that difference? What is that thing that they had? What is that thing that they had inside of them that was different than maybe what others have had inside of them? And I ran across this definition from Pastor Rick Warren, who pastors out in California. He's written a bunch of books that maybe some of you have read. He says this, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life and the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I want to read that one more time because that's really good. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. The settled assurance, it means that I am determining before I get into circumstance, I've settled in my mind. I've settled in my heart. I've settled in my soul. I am assured. I am confident 
that God is in control of every detail of my life, that things are going to work out, and that he deserves praise no matter what's happening around me. It's a settled assurance. It's a confidence. It, it, it's a steadfastness inside of me that something can stand in the midst of sorrow and tragedy and good things and bad things, happy times and sad times. I can still possess joy. It's not a fleeting thing. It's something that doesn't change. The Bible talks a lot about joy. It says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. 88 times in the Old Testament, 57 times in the New Testament, in 40 books of the 62 books of the Bible, the idea of joy or rejoicing is mentioned to us. That we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That joy comes in the morning, even after a night of sorrow. Galatians chapter 5 tells me that one of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That if God's at work in me, if the Spirit of God is doing a work in me, that the byproduct of that work of God in my life is that I would have joy. So let me ask this, especially to the Christ followers in the room. How joyful a person are you? If I asked your coworkers, if I asked your neighbors, if I asked the people that live in your house, would they describe you as someone who has joy? Because if you are a Christ follower in the room, you have joy inside of you because the Holy Spirit lives there. And a byproduct, the fruit of the Spirit, a byproduct of the work of God in me is joy. So how joyful are you? Because the reality is that what Jesus was doing here is he was bringing joy. The fill in the blank today is Jesus is joy. Because what he did is he came upon something that was empty and he filled it. He came into a circumstance that was lacking and he changed the atmosphere. That's the story of my life. That's the story for a lot of people in this room. That there was emptiness and Jesus came in and filled it. There was a lack in my life, and Jesus came in, and he gave me more than I could ever imagine. That I have a joy that exceeds anything that I'm walking through. My mom taught me when I was a young boy. My, my parents, both of them modeled this, but I remember my mom saying this phrase, and then she lived it out in our home as I was growing up, and I watched her live this out. And even in her own battle with sickness and illness, I watched her live this out, and she used to say that when you come to the place where Jesus is all you have, you discover that Jesus is all you need. You come to the place when Jesus is all you have, you discover that Jesus is all you need. And so I wonder this morning, how joyful are we? If Jesus is joy, well, guess what? You can know Jesus. Some of you do, but we wouldn't know it by the lack of joy that comes out of your life. And so here's what I would say to you today. Don't seek more joy. That's seeking the result. Seek more of Jesus in you and watch more joy be produced. Don't just go, God, give me more joy. Give me more joy. 
Give me more joy. Because I think, I don't know, I think my opinion here, I think he will say, well, what if I just gave you more of Jesus? What if I just gave you more of Jesus? If I give you more of Jesus, I think more joy will come out of you. If I just allow the Spirit to work in you more and just fill you up, I realize when you're putting water into a pot, it doesn't look like wine. It looks like water. But let me just put some things in you that you may not fully understand, that you may not fully even think that you need. And as I do this work in you and I keep putting this stuff in you and I put more of Jesus in you, more of the Spirit of God inside of you, the more that I do that, the more that comes out of you is joy and love and peace. Those are the things that come out of me when God is doing a work in me. How joyful are you? If Jesus is joy and you are not joy... What does that say about your relationship with Jesus? He comes and he fills empty places. And sometimes it's a process. And we get tired in the process. And we get weary and we say, God, I I want you just to do it suddenly. I just want you to do it now. And he says, no, 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 I'm, I'm producing something. I'm doing something. I'm working the miracle. You just stay faithful. You just stay patient. You do exactly what he tells you to do. Go to the counseling session. Make the budget. Go to the doctor. Just do what he tells you to do. And then when he says draw it out, draw it out. And what comes out is different than what you put in. It's different. You just thought you were putting in Jesus, but it comes out like joy when you're in the midst of a circumstance that doesn't call for joy. You just thought you were putting in Jesus, and it's peace that passes all understanding, the Bible says. What you put in may look different than what comes out. Just put in Jesus. Let the Spirit of God do a work in you. Just keep putting in Jesus. Put in Jesus. Put in Jesus. And watch what God does as a result. Jesus is joy. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for stories like we've read today. I thank you for the opportunity to grow in our understanding and in relationship with you. And God, I pray today for every person in this place that where there is emptiness, God, you would fill it with more of you. Where there is lack, you would fill them to overflowing. God, don't let us grow weary in the process. Let us be patient, stay faithful. God, I pray that you would help us today to trust you in the midst of that process and just to do what you tell us to do. God, you want us to be a part of the miraculous. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who finished the work. Thank you that Jesus is joy and that because of Jesus, we can have joy too. God, let us choose now Let us resolve now. Have a quiet confidence moving forward 
that you are in control of every detail of our life, that everything that is going on in our life serves a higher purpose, and that you deserve to be praised in every situation. God, we thank you for who you are, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. And I pray that you would produce more joy in our lives as we fill ourselves up with more of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.